Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And this week, Strike a pose. we're chatting about King of the Mon- <laughs> We're chatting about King of the Monsters, the most Ari Aster movie not directed by Ari Aster. Uh-oh. Uh, melodrama perfection and tearing, tearing, terrifying tearing. Australian, <laughs> terrifying Australian found footage. Yes. And... Uh, just an announcement because this is well i guess this is our second december episode isn't it but patreon is back open so if you want to help support us you can now we've been talking about it even though we've had it locked down because it's been hard to like get back into the swing of things with schedules and stuff but we are back you could be watching our beautiful faces right now um and see that i am actually trying to vogue in I did not get that gene. See Mary Beth's really cool shirt. It is a really cool shirt. It's a big muscly anime girl. Can you scoot over? She's really cute. I can't see you. Oh yeah, sorry. I <laughs> She is really cute. And it's just and it's just big milk. <laughs> big milk. As the most anime thing. Yep. It's it's just this incredible artist, like original content, and I I love her dearly because she just makes weird giant anime chicks that are really muscular, and it's very good. Hell yeah, you are giving like comfy vibes right now. I have to say, mm-hmm. I love yeah, it. Yeah, walking my beanie, my kafea, free Palestine, and yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're cozy, we're comfy. It's cold. I'm tired. I just want to drink soup so i i don't blame you at all uh it's soup season bitch soup season it's always soup season for me though i love soup i will have soup. yeah i it's same but it's like now i can make it more often because it's like steve will eat it and he's like oh it's an appropriate time to eat soup and i'm like it's always an appropriate time to eat always always (laughs) i love soup anyway all right so let's let's start off with the king of the monsters what did we both watch? Um. So we. So this week it's gonna be. It's. It sounds like we didn't watch a lot, but we just watched a lot of the same stuff this week. So we're gonna talk a little bit longer about the things we both saw. We saw Godzilla minus one. Hell yeah, we did. Boy oh boy, boy 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 oh boy. I love Godzilla so much, and I know. I was worried about the hype because I was like, there's no way. I blown away. I cried. I cried in this movie. I sobbed. So, without spoiling, can you, what part, 
like ish did you yeah so let me so for those of you unfamiliar with godzilla um you can see this movie this is a kind of like a different like you won't you don't need to know about godzilla lore to see this if you are interested in this movie but Godzilla minus one. So this takes place in uh, 1945, like final day. It starts in the final days of World War II in Japan. And then it takes place in the years immediately after where Tokyo is trying to rebuild. It's a very fascinating movie to watch right now. Mm-hmm. Um, while the context of why Tokyo is firebombed are very different um, in terms of like why that happened. Like it is just a very interesting movie to watch now and watching a population who have, were used basically as collateral damage for their government are trying to rebuild post-disaster. And then on top of that, Godzilla comes in and rocks everyone's shit. And and our, our, our focus is this kamikaze pilot who is a failed kamikaze pilot, which is incredibly dishonorable. He didn't, he, you know, he, he choked, which, you know, he didn't want to kill himself for his country you know and this movie grapples with this a lot in a really amazing way like this is a movie that is grappling with japan's past and how japan has treated human beings like fodder and it's this really poignant story about this guy's ptsd and trying to and because and linked to godzilla and him trying to rebuild a family and in the midst of all this, Godzilla is coming and destroying Tokyo and what everyone has repaired. And it's like kind of the triumph of the human spirit. And it's like, if you, it's a, it's cheesy and it, in, if, if you really, if like you look at it on paper, it sounds very cheesy. But this is such an incredibly heartfelt movie. Um, and I also think like Godzilla has to be a little bit cheesy and melodramatic. Like I think that's just inherent to like Godzilla. But this movie, I think, has. But the comparison a lot of Shin Godzilla, which was Hideki Anno from 2016, and which I still these movies are very different. <laughs> these movies are very, and these two movies are very different, um, in a good way. And I think there's a lot of comparison because those are the two most recent like Japanese Godzilla movies that I think are much better than the American ones. No shade to the American ones; I think they have their merit, but I just they're just they're more campy, which is fine. But I like these these serious takes on Godzilla and. This one was a very much about like brotherhood and friendship in a way that I was obsessed with. Like I was obsessed with the camaraderie, camaraderie between these men and not having it be and like looking at men and as friends and like the power of friendship. And we don't get a lot of that with like male friendship and positive male relationships and this movie like delivers that in a really awesome way. And also just, like, this Godzilla is scary as shit. Like, I was scared in this movie of Godzilla. And they, this design is incredible. They take a lot from um, the high sea era, I believe it is. Which is, there's, like, different eras of Godzilla. Yeah, the high sea era. um, Which was, like, in the 80s. And that, like, his eyes. Like, the way his eyes look, like, very colorful and big. Like, that's pulling from that era of Godzilla. And they just make him so scary. Like, his laser... His, like, his, his atomic breath, which is always my favorite to see how people interpret the ato- Godzilla's atomic breath, because that's, like, the iconic thing. Insane in here. And it's just, like, you can feel the stakes in this movie so yes. well and how scary Godzilla is and how, like, much of a threat he is. And I just... It rocked. It fucking rocked. Yeah. So, in chat... 
Kate is saying that this was her real, in quotations, Godzilla movie because for her the American ones don't count. And this, this is the kind of similar to me. Um, I think I have seen the original Godzilla when I was a kid, but I'm not because I, I wasn't there like two cuts, like the American cut of the original Godzilla, and then wasn't that is that, or am I making yes. this up? No, no, no. There's two cuts. But so I I think I think I had seen the original one when I was a kid, but I might not have seen all of it. And I've never really been like a big Godzilla person. Um, I really hated the Matthew Broderick one from early 2000s, late 90s. I can't remember what year that one came out. It might have been 99 because everything seemed to come out that year. And I didn't care for that one. I appreciated the size and the way that Gareth Evans filmed the 2014 Godzilla uh, because he really, I think, focused on a human level view of Godzilla, but it the movie as a whole didn't 100% work for me. Ah, 1998, Kate says. Yep, Matthew Roddick, 1998. Okay, that makes sense. But, like, I've just, I've never been a huge fan, but this year has been, like, a year that I've been, like, gung-ho Godzilla. Like, I really like Legacy Monster, which is only tangentially related to Godzilla. It's good. I started it. Did you? Oh, I love it. It's so I'm fun so into it. And so pulpy. I'm not caught up, but we started watching it. It's so pulpy and fun. Like, yeah. it feels like you're... Re- it's like an indie... It's indie... Like you said, it's Indiana Jones with monsters. Like, yeah. I'm very into it. It's so fun. It's so fun. And so I watched that, yeah. and then I was like, I'm very excited to see Godzilla Minus One because the creature design looked fantastic. I loved the shots I was seeing. So I was very excited. And this is my i i want to say this is my first like real godzilla movie as well as someone that can appreciate the film and i really enjoyed this one it didn't i didn't get as like in my feels as a lot of people online did i didn't cry in this movie um but it still like was really working for me with the way in which it was tackling the giant scar that world war ii has left in japan but i i appreciated that it was focusing on the fact that these people were just kind of left aside and used as pawns for the mil- for the government, really. And this movie does a lot of uh, dissection in that regard, and I really appreciated that. I thought it was very interesting, and I thought it was tackling things, because there's been a lot of movies that are about World War II, and I thought this was an interesting yeah. way to take it in a way that is both anti-establishment, but also about the, like about the strain that this war has left on people and the fact that it's really hard to move on from that. And I, so I like the way that Godzilla represented that kind of trauma that continued to um, destroy and kind of yeah. metaphorically destroy, you know, our, our, the, the conscious lives of the Japanese folk, Japanese people. Yeah. And so I really like that. And I love some of the little the little details, like the fact that when Godzilla would shoot the atomic breath, it was like singeing his face. Like it's just it shows the raw power of his breath in a way that um, I don't think I've, I've seen as awe-inspiring as I have in other Godzilla movies. You need to watch Shin Godzilla. I know I do. I really do. Like I really want to watch. That it's one. very different, but you'll you'll have. It's a pretty big, it's a pretty, there's a, just watch it. I, I really need <laughs> the to. The Atomic like, Breath. I want to a, watch it. It just, yeah. it, it's this is like this. I know. As what always happens with me, my like, the times when I want to hyper fixate on something is when like there's a million things pulling at my attention. Like, 
FYC screeners and all that kind of stuff. So like, I don't, I have not had a chance to sit down and watch it, but I am dying to see it now. Godzilla minus one inch and Godzilla are very, very, very good interpretations of, of Godzilla. And I think, I mean, like, I think the reason is because they're Japanese. I think yeah. Godzilla is such a uniquely Japanese story. Mm-hmm. It's all about Japan trying to cope with the trauma of the nuclear bomb yeah. and nuclear testing and what that, how that affected the citizens of Japan and how, you know, Japan kind of put themselves in that situation with World War II. And it's like, it's so, it's complicated. And yeah. it's, I don't think you can have Godzilla. And like, look, I get it. A lot of Godzilla later on is silly, but like, it's still that core of like, and a lot of these movies do kind of poke fun at, Soon Godzilla's full on satire of bureaucracy in Japan mm-hmm. and how that they don't care about the citizens. Japan, it's just like Godzilla is just such a Japanese thing that it's it's hard to translate right. here, like to the states. It doesn't have the stakes aren't as high. Right. I know that, I, and like if you're not a Godzilla person, like that might sound silly. It's like oh well, their monster is like destroying stuff, but it's like that. I, that linking to the nuclear power and how Godzilla is such a mar- is such like a symbol of Japanese trauma, kind of. If like you really want to get serious about it, like it's well, a massive symbol for a national trauma. So like when you don't have that same national trauma, it just doesn't have as much of an impact. Like the Cloverfield monster does because that's so nine eleven. Like to have yeah. like you know a very very like no. Different, but, like, the kind of only comparison I can currently draw is, like, these monsters are so conjuring of these certain images. And, like, here with Godzilla, it's still conjuring that image, but, like, that image that we're familiar with without the cultural context. It's very interesting. Well, and I I was immediately, like, as you were talking, I was, like, trying to think what would be, like, an American. And I wasn't even thinking about Cloverfield, which absolutely, 100%, a very American monster but then I was also thinking yeah. of taking it back to not like giant monsters, but the monsters in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an inherently United States feel. Yes, there are mm, cannibals. Yeah. We can do stuff about cannibalism. We can do stuff about horrific, like that kind of stuff. But like what Texas Chainsaw Massacre is about is an inherently American movie. And so I, I think that there is definitely there's a there's a cultural ownership to these different kinds of creatures that yeah when other people they might get the spectacle they might get the effects they might get the creature they might get the human level but they're not going to be able to tell the same kind of story so i agree 100 percent. that's not to say that i'm not excited for godzilla x kong which is hilarious title i just look I know that I'm going to get stoned and see it in the movie theater <laughs> and it's like going to be camp like it's going to be fun yeah i love it looks like they might be going in like a sillier direction. Mm-hmm. And I love the silly Godzilla movies. So, but I don't know if they know they're silly is my kind of concern. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's silly, but do they know it's silly? No, right, right. And like, that is what's going to make or break this movie. I agree. Is if they are leaning into the silly. They got to embrace and it. And I hope they point. do, because you don't just like, you don't show me that a giant ape in the middle of hollow earth has a revenge trajectory and not realize that your movie is fucking silly and is campy. You know what I mean? And if you, you being like studios, I don't, I don't, I think Adam Wingard is smarter than that, but you never know with studios. You know what I mean? So I'm just very curious. 
But so if you're listening to this, Kate, your message reminds me, if you're listening to this on Friday, uh, December 8th, um, they've extended a week. Toho has extended Godzilla Minus One's uh, theatrical run because of how well it's done in theaters in the States. So see it. Go see it in theaters. It's in a, you, if Godzilla movies are meant to be seen in theaters. There's a scene that's like a jaw is like the, is like Jaws, but with fucking Godzilla. Like a lot of this movie is like oh, feels like an homage totally, to Jaws. Yes, I it's meant a to Jaws bring that movie. Up this is yeah, totally Jaws. it's a Jaws movie. It's Jaws, but like not in like a cheesy way, and like no. a really amazing like homage to Jaws, and like God, how no one has used a Godzilla chase scene in a boat before is wild to me. It's so good, and like. This is what I think I love about this movie, too. Before we, I'm sorry, I keep going back to it. They're always in cro- close proximity to Godzilla. They're, he's not far away. Like, they're always like up in his shit. And I feel like that raises the stakes even more. Like, you can really feel like he's there. Because right. a, a lot of the time, they keep them at a distance. Like, oh, there's a big, scary monster. Look how big they are. But here, they're not afraid to get up close. And I love that because that gives you even more of a sense of how big this creature is compared to like a boat and a person. Yeah. Um, I agree. So go see it guys. Like it's so good. You don't have to be a Godzilla person to enjoy it. Nope. I'm not. Yeah. It's a little cheesy, but that's fine. Cause it's Godzilla. It's the triumph of the human spirit. Like <laughs> it just, it's good. Go see it in it theaters, please. And thank you. Sleeper hit of one of the best movies of the year coming in. Sleeping in. <gasps> Carter! Carter! Oh my in god, Carter! 4D. Did you see it in Japan? Because Steve and I were going to see it in Japan, but they didn't. we could not find any place that had English subtitles. And, um... Moving, moving seats. Moving seats? Holy oh. shit. Um, but we were going to see it in Japan, but we couldn't find anything that had, like, subtitles. And I'm really glad we didn't just do it. Because we would have missed out a lot of important context if we, like, had not had the subtitles. So, I'm gl- I, as much as it would have been cool to see it in Japan, I think it was uh, the move to not just see it. Godzilla Breath? Oh, with, shit, that's cool. Godzilla Breath with water spraying, Carter says. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, Renaissance, the Beyonce movie, was next to my theater, and it was shaking my seat. So, that was kind of, like, 4D. I was like, is there an earthquake going on? No, it was fucking Beyonce. <laughs> and like the people dancing. I was like, I just want to watch my Godzilla movie in peace. <laughs> but anyway, see Godzilla minus one. It's really fucking good. And more movies like this should be made. This was made for $15 million, apparently, which is very expensive in Japan. But here, that ain't shit. So support movies like that. Hell yeah. Even That's not even an indie, but... I don't know. What does indie even fucking mean anymore? Um, anyway, that's a discussion for another time. It really is. Uh, but what I want to hear mm. about is the most Ari Aster movie not directed by Ari Aster. And that could mean like 65 different things. So I'm just like, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. Well, this, this is, so this is a movie that apparently, according to the internet, Ari Aster almost directed, but he ended up producing it instead and it is, as Kate mentions in chat, yes. Oh, uh, dream, dream scenario. scenario. Which okay. is like, okay, so Nicolas Cage is stunning in this movie. He is so fucking good in this movie. I 
loved him in this movie. Although I will say that it was wigging me out because he looked the spitting image of my father in like early, like 20 years, years younger than my dad is right now. But like he, my dad had that hairstyle. He wore the glasses. He looked just like my dad. And it was wigging me out to the point that I, I sent a picture to my brother and was like, who is this? And he's like, oh my God, is that dad? Like it is, it looks like him. It was wigging me out. Um, oh, that's fucking wild. <laughs> but Dream Scenario, in case you're not, in case you're not familiar with it, listeners, is the mo- is the is the movie is about is the is the movie is the movie Dream Scenario is the movie. It is about Nicolas Cage's Paul Matthews, who is an evolutionary biology instructor at um, a school. And when the movie opens, his daughter is telling him about this weird dream she had about him, where she was like floating up into the sky and he was just standing there and not doing anything to help. And he's like, well, that's weird. I hope you don't think of that of me in, in real life. And he goes, he starts going on his, his way at, at school and people just start staring at him weird. There's whispering in class and he comes to find out that other people are dreaming about him. People he doesn't really know. And then it starts to like progress and it basically, he becomes sort of, a meme where people have like they think they know him because they are half seeing him in his dreams and he's always just sort of standing there nonchalantly watching things occur and as he starts to like gain influence in terms of people wanting to uh, photograph him of wanting to film him and put him on social media the dreams start to take kind of a sinister turn and it um, upsets his entire life and that's putting it mildly. Obviously, like this was giving me Nightmare on Elm Street vibes to the point that, of course, the film even mentions those vibes. And there's the image floating around the internet of him wearing this glove with like knives on it. So, like, the film is very much aware of what the, what we're playing with, but it does so in such an intriguing way that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the dream sequences, but I also enjoyed what it was sort of doing in terms of like how people don't really own themselves once they get on the internet because he he doesn't have any control over how people perceive him and it just starts to spiral out of control and I thought that was really fascinating I I will say there's some things in the third act where like it tries to add in some like capitalism things and I'm like that it felt like a very small detour that was um unappetizing and not fully explored in a way which would have led to a completely an additional movie almost with what they could have done with it but that aside I thought this was a a really fascinating look at a trajectory of someone that becomes a meme or that becomes part of our cultural landscape in ways that he can't control and I thought it was really interesting in that regard yeah I really like this movie I don't like how it ends and I think that they let him off a little bit too easy I think it's a little there's a little bit too like see what happens when the white man like when a white man is canceled like you ruin his life and like it's a little it's more nuanced than that obviously like I know and it's having it's having like it's it's it has has having a lot of really interesting conversations. It's Christopher Borgley is the director. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Sick of Myself, which is his other movie that everyone is like people have seen, but I know people really like it. And like this is his sense of humor, very like dry, satirical, like humans are fucking wild in their behavior and how they act and in like in these wild scenarios and 
I do think, I do think they handle it really well. There's like some parts of it where I'm just like, ah, I don't know. I think we're letting this dude off a little easy. I think we're being a little, I, I don't think I'm in the mood to be sympathetic towards a man like that sympathetic. I don't know. Like That's just my experience with it. And I think like my experience with it was a little bit like, Okay, I like it, but I'm not quite sure what this movie is trying to say. And that's kind of where I was at with it for a bit. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't I didn't really get that. Like, there's there's a couple moments that I was like, mm, I'm not sure if that's what you want to say. <laughs> but, like, for the most part, I, I thought it was just, it was fascinating to see sort of the way in which, I mean, it's, it's the, if you live long enough, you're going to find yourself become the villain, right? And so he starts off being just, an evolutionary professor like there's nothing to him he is yeah someone that fades in the crowd and then he he becomes internet famous and then it just sort of charts the trajectory of his eventual downfall and i thought that was interesting but also oh, it absolutely is in terms of like like, i don't just in terms of the way that nicholas cage has always like said he how um the memification of him online and so yeah i saw that in here too of like he has no control over any of his branding and the things that he wants to talk about. No one wants to talk about because they're more interested in these little snippets of social media posts. And so I I thought there was some interesting parallels to the way in which um, Nicholas Cage's life as an actor has has played out. Absolutely. And like, by no means, I think it's a bad movie. I think there's, there's actually a lot of really smart things being said about like, how we view people and how like it spirals out of control and what that means. I think just the ending was it's it's another one of those cases of like you should have just ended it early. Yep. Like I don't think he it's knew definitely how to end it. Yeah, like it just the ending I was like I don't know. I don't think he needed to do all that. I think it was fine the way it, I think it was fine without that last like 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's more poignant that way. Yeah. But it felt like studio notes. I don't know if that's true or not, but it also kind of felt a little bit like. And Carter in chat says, sick of myself is amazing. I really want to see sick of myself. I've never seen yeah. it, but I've, I've heard really good things. And after watching this one, it, it moved up in my list of things I need to. to he's got out. a really good sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Like a really, he's got a very keen, weird sense of humor. And I love it though. It's yeah. very European, very European. <laughs> so twisted and dark Ooh, that's right up my yeah, alley and it, oh yeah it's i haven't again i haven't seen it but i know about it and it's it's fucking weird so yeah well i just realized that we've seen we all both have seen all the movies we're talking about tonight so let's i know <laughs> let's talk about melodrama perfection i hear we're out of hot dogs may december by todd haynes Don't listen to the weird memes and all the weird discourse on the fucking internet. This is what happens when these movies are accessible to everybody. That sounds terrible and elitist, but I'm going to say it. There's something to Um, that, unfortunately. But this, regardless of everything you've seen on the internet, May, December is one of the most nauseating movies I've ever seen. And I love that. It is Todd Haynes at, like, his best. I just, like... Uh, the fact that it's getting treated the way it's getting treated is like really frustrating to me because it's so more, it's like such more, it's so much more complicated in what it's doing and how it's like constructing an art of, anyway, let's talk about what it's about first. Sorry. I'm just like, I'm getting, getting into my feelings about the May, <laughs> December discourse on the fucking internet. Cause like, I think this is an incredible movie and a very important movie. And I think that it's not, 
the way it's being treated, I'm glad it's getting all the attention, but I don't think it like gets to the core of how important this this story is and how it like the telling of it is actually pretty important for quite a few reasons. In a way, like not to the like to a much more important degree, but in a way, the discourse about this movie is sort of like what happens to Nicolas Cage's character in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ugh, my brain. My brain is broken and Because you're right. This ugh. this movie I think is is getting I think they're taking parts of this movie out there in discussion and not fully understanding what Todd Haynes is trying to do here. Uh but basically like just so in case you're not familiar with it cuz the title is is very um mercurial it doesn't really tell you what it's about <laughs> and yeah it is about it is based it's loosely inspired by the mary Kay latorno story who mary Kay latorno it was a woman who was a teacher and she raped her student ended up getting pregnant with her student's baby went to jail got out of jail went back into jail pregnant with baby number two and eventually the two married after she got out of prison. Um, and so this movie is sort of looking at this character established with her husband years later. And Natalie Portman's character is an actress that's coming in to kind of do character study work um, because she's going to be basically playing this woman in a movie. And it just it goes it goes from there. But I'm I'm curious, what did you so what did you think about this one, Mary Beth? I I loved it. Yeah. It made me so upset. Mm. And I mean that like in a in a way that like, holy shit. Um I love Todd Haynes. I love Velvet Goldmine is an incredible film. And mm. so I love and every obviously I love Carol, but like Velvet Goldmine is such a good study of an ex. Have you seen Velvet Goldmine? Oh, yeah. So I think just Haynes, Todd Haynes is just so good at character studies and creating these, well, not, it's not because he didn't write this, but like working with the writer and like picking these stories that tell you all about these weird people. And like, he knows how to like tell these fucking wild stories about everyday people. And this is such an interesting look one, I'm really glad it exists because, again, people don't think women can be rapists and don't think women are capable of these things. And I think stories like this are devastatingly important in terms of just looking at what grooming looks like and how it is not just men doing it to women. Um, So that's really important to see. But I also love how he exposes true crime and like our yeah. own like mel- like obsession with true crime and our desire to kind of get into these details and understand these people and then realize like, oh, no, these people are like deeply fucked up. Like this is not a fun thing to read. And like the tab, like the tabloid stuff was fun. But when you meet them, like you are deeply disturbed at what this family is. Charles Melton as the bo- as like the grown oh. boy. Y'all, this kid and he's not a kid, but just like he he plays an adult who is still a kid and everything about him like awards awards like I, I the way that he is able to portray a 33 year old man who never grew up and is still stuck in childhood, yep. but is also a, a parent year old man like, stuck in a, a 13 year old child it, stuck in a man's body. 
It is like, it is, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because it's just like so fucked up to watch because you are literally watching this guy process his entire life's worth of trauma and he does it so beautifully, but it's really hard to watch. It really is. But it's also, this movie is also funny in a way too, because Natalie Portman's character is like darkly comedic and like how serious she's taking this role when like they kind of telegraph to you that she's maybe not the best actress and that like she's put, she's over blowing her talents to like make herself feel important. And so like there's a dark comedy there too with like her an overinflated sense of self and like taking it too seriously and there's just a lot of really complicated things going on. And it's also a satire. In this movie that are these... so cool. Yeah. And it's a satire of these types of, of, of true crime, these types of like overwrought melodramatic. I mean, I hate to use the word lifetime because that feels disparaging, but like that type of film where it's like the, the, the quick zooms that we have here with the over the top score is just perfection and i think that that might be where like people are are struggling because the film doesn't really give you anything to latch on to we have satire which is very broad humor that we're, we're seeing here with like the camera zooms and the overwrought score and some of the things like the fact that we're zooming in on julian moore and it seems like it's going to be a serious moment and she's like i don't think we have enough hot dogs and then it cuts to the next scene and there is nothing but hot there's dogs like, like four it's so million many, hot dogs so many hot dogs and so there's like that kind of comedy comedy here and then there's as you mentioned there's this dark comedy pitch black dark comedy with uh with natalie portman's character and then there's then there's Charles Melton's character that is just like so you just want to give him a giant hug and, and try to help him. And so there's like all these different things that it's really hard to kind of grab onto one thing. And I think that's why people are calling it campy. I don't see any camp in this whatsoever. Melodrama, satire, yes, but not camp. So thank you for saying this because I was going to bring this up because I think – People conflate melodrama and camp a lot because I do think that they can overlap, but they are very different. Yes. This is trying to, it's co-op, it's using melodrama and like expectations, a little bit of camp aesthetics to draw your eye to the fact that this is all just a fucked up artifice Mm -hmm. and everything is a facade. And the music, like, I love that the movie like constantly is destabilizing you about like what you're supposed to be feeling and thinking. And I love that because it's never letting you get comfortable and like your expectations. And I think that is so, so incredibly cool and how that is navigating how we get so comfortable watching these tragedies on TV and watching them for entertainment and consuming them and just being like, Oh, that's so fucked up and sad and then turning it off and not realizing like these people have lives. Um, and it's not even just lives, like, they've got children. Yeah. Like, they have, and the kids in this movie, and the way they treat their mom versus their dad. Talk about wanting, like, there are scenes where Julianne Moore, the way she talks, because she plays, like, the, the rapist. The way she speaks to her fucking children about, like, you're so brave for oh, showing your arms like arm that. Comment. I was like... Well, I have heard things like that before. Um, but that's why, it, like, it's like that. Mo- and someone made this comment online, and I cannot for the fucking life remember who tweeted it. But it was like, nothing was more sh- more shocking when I like when I started having white friends like learning how much contempt white moms have for their daughters, and I'm like, ah, 
And May December captures that so fucking well. It's so wild. That's May December. It's on Netflix. Uh, so if you want to experience one of the best movies of the year, but also one of the most heartbreaking, yeah, check it out on Netflix. And again, it is too complicated of a movie for this many people to have access to it. I'm so sorry to say that. I know that's so shitty, but this well, is not a movie to be memed. Netflix is memeing it. I mean, like, look, he's so hot. I'm like, Charles Milton is literally a fucking, like, sexual assault survivor, like, trapped in a... Mi- I was just like, I, we can't meme this movie. And, like, I know that I shouldn't be complaining that art like this is getting attention, but sometimes attention is bad. <laughs> oh, God. God, I sound like such a dick. I'm sorry, but say love Um, But let's take a very different turn to talk about our found footage movie of the week, which is our terrifying found footage film from Australia that Terry watched for the first time. Terry, what did we watch? We watched The Tunnel, which is an Australian movie from 2011. I, I believe, I know you know more about the history of it. I believe this one was just released onto BitTorrent. It was just like torrented. So what? Yeah, so it was torrented and they sold every frame of the movie to fund it. And then they oh. just like released it. It was like, it was like prototype NFT. Okay. They sold every frame of the movie. Huh. Uh, yeah. That's weird. And then they just like put it on BitTorrent and then someone put it on YouTube and that's the way it was out. Uh, for ever until just now, until like I think either this year or like late last year. Yeah, probably um, very recently. It's very, it's very, very recently, and it's because I watched a shitty version on YouTube, and like when I saw it at Unnamed Footage Festival, like on the big screen, I was like, "Well, that makes a difference." Yeah, and I really wish I could have stayed for it. I wanted to watch that and the documentary of the making of this, which I guess the Umbrella Blu-ray copy of this movie, which is all mm-hmm. region, um, has that documentary on it. And I really wanted yep. to order that that Blu-ray to watch it. But, okay, so the title is about, um, it's presented as a documentary-ish about um, an investigative journalist who is, has, has, there's a cover-up story that is going on because Australia has thought of has planned at one point to use abandoned train tunnels deep within the heart of Sydney to like become a, a water recycling thing to help pr- solve drought and climate change issues for for Australia, and then it just doesn't seem to go anywhere. And so she is like investigating it. She's hearing reports of like weird things happening in the tunnels, and so she gets her team to go down into the tunnels, the titular tunnel, and figure out what is going on, and then mayhem ensues. What'd you think? What'd you think? What'd you think? I really liked it. I I want that out here first, but what I did realize is... (laughs) What I did realize is I'm not sure that this format works for me. Really? Okay. The, the format, like the of... like the the fo- the pseudo documentary framing, like with Hell House and like like Mungo. Yes and no. So I don't because like I was I was trying to figure out what about it, and I think it's because this is 
not a documentary about like, hey, we found this footage and we're making like we're trying to investigate it. It is like we know that these two people survived and that really cut the tension for me because I immediately knew that those two were going to survive. The other two that hadn't shown up in the documentary were probably dead. And so I think the fact that we are following this woman and we're, she is relating the facts of it gives me more of a distance than some found footage movies get, make me have. Does that make sense? Like I felt more. No, I get that. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so that aspect of it was not jiving for me very well. Okay. But I, I think that's just a structural thing that I, I just don't think it it's works for me because my mind is too much on the plot. And I'm like to the point mm. where I'm like, okay, I know these two are going to survive. I know the other two aren't. Let's okay. get to that. Instead of just appreciating what was in front of me. That said, mm. the imagery in this movie is fucked when we, once we get into the... It is basically a found footage like The Descent with this weird ass creature that is phenomenal i gasped and jumped a number of times in this and i am kicking myself for not seeing it in the movie theater because i think that would have really enriched the experience even more than it was i'm sorry it does it makes it a lot easier to see like what's happening um and like what it more about what it looks like you know you still don't get like a clear view of it but you kind of yeah Okay, well, I'm glad you liked it for the most part. Oh, I did. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think it's in a really, it's it's a really effective use of creatures in found footage. Absolutely. I think a lot of people struggle with creatures in found footage with budgets. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of ways to do them really well. And this is an example of how you can do a really good monster low budget. Because, like, this isn't, like, a crazy monster. You really no. don't see a lot of it. You no. just get more of a sense of its size and, like, kind of its face shape. But... I think one of my favorite things about this movie is when, this isn't really a spoiler, when the monster picks up the camera and you get the monster POV, like the literal monster POV, and like you see, like, that, like, kickstarted something in my fucking brain of just like, a be again, and that was another, like, pivotal found footage moment for me of being like, the ways in which, when you know who's holding the camera, when that changes, it feels so violating. And especially when it's the bad, it's the bad guy that, you know, like we're not supposed to like be seeing from their perspective. And like, you are, you are literally becoming a monster. You're like, Oh my God, what the fuck? And we haven't, you don't really see that in found footage a lot because a lot of it is like, you just want the people capturing it. And I think it does this really smart thing with having the monster pick up the camera. And I think that is like that, paired with like oh kate says i was getting so mad at how the guys are treating their female team member it's very blair witch project and how like the woman is to blame and it's like how dare you do this to us and she's just like babes i didn't know this was down here like at some point you gotta like relax but like some of the imagery in this also is fucking downright scary like in terms of finding weird rooms full of blood and like these just like really fucking weird images and sounds. And I think they use the setting so well. One of my, so effectively. Yeah. One of my favorite images in this movie is there's a security guard. I thought it was a little contrived that all of a sudden he's down in the area and like trying to lead them out. I was like, "Uh, mm, I don't like that a hundred percent, but 
Um, it didn't seem real to me. But then the fact that there's this moment where they refine the security guard and his eyes have been ripped out and he is standing in water and it's so dark behind him. But you start to like see something forming in the darkness behind oh, him. Oh, it's so good. And it reminds me. Ahead of me... its time. Hereditary, ahead right of its time. <laughs> well, it also reminded me of what was that? What was that? The La, the La Possession Day. Oh, the Possession de Altair, 1974, yes, Possession de Altair. Like, there's a, there's a sequence in that, too, that involves darkness and things being barely perceptible in the darkness that was here as well. And I I love moments like that. I just, it was it, it, it very effective, very creepy, very scary. Really enjoyed that part of the film, 100%. Yeah. It's a good one. Um and I'm really glad that it's on Tubi now and there's like an actual yeah. version of it, not just like a ripped shitty copy on YouTube or like other sites. That's how I found it. Um, it's a good quality it's fun. On, it's, on it too. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see like, I've been doing a lot of thinking about archiving recently. And mm-hmm. so it's really interesting to see like these movies, how they were released and then like the way they're getting resurrected, I think is really interesting. And, like, who chooses what gets resurrected. Anyway, I've been in my feelings a lot about archival work. Uh, so, but yeah, that does it for this week. I love that we watched literally all of the same movies. I know. I didn't watch Dream Scenario this week, but I did see it. So, we... <laughs> um, but we're wrapping that up for today. But then, so what, uh, conti- how are we continuing our found footage series, Terry? So next week, it's one that we both have seen, but I have not seen it in a very long time. Not sure about Mary Beth. And I just I haven't either. Yeah. I've been wanting a reason to revisit it. And here we go. So we're going to watch uh, Troll Hunter. H- Troll Hunter? Is it Hunter or Hunters? Yeah, Troll, hu- Troll Hunter. Uh, Andre Overdahl's found yes. footage movie. Our, our boy who did um, Scary Autopsy. Stories Tell the Dark and Autopsy of Jane Doe. This is, I think, his first one of his first movies. He found footage. One of my one of the only examples of found footage giant creature feature, and I love it for that, and I'm so excited to talk about it and rewatch it because I just love it for what it is and how fun it is. Um, I wanted us to watch something a little bit more fun Yeah. Uh, next week. So I think it's fun, at least. I do, too. 100 percent yeah uh, so that's what we're doing with our found footage uh but mary beth who are we chatting with on monday speaking of found so footage. monday yes we're chatting with nick mcnulty who is the writer and co-director of the 2016 found footage film capture kill release but most recently he's the author of a horror rest- horror western called skinning the coyote which is available wherever you get your books and we are talking about Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the first time I've ever seen that movie. And I really go on a rant about Pee-wee Herman. <laughs> I, like, forgot how much I really went in on Pee-wee uh, in that episode, now that I'm, like, really thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, so get ready for that, because I really don't like that that man-child. I really don't. <laughs> really really don't yeah we have a lot Um, of a lot of things to discuss with that one (laughs) but also also because (laughs) patreon is open again we have a new fresh wounds that uh will be coming at you probably in the next week or so yeah and we are continuing our um new french extremity exploration with frontier and then parentheses s (laughs) frontiers has an s when I was asking Siri how long Frontiers was, because I'm I'm gonna watch it tonight, 
it said the, the response was frontier s is <laughs> carter asked when you're gonna watch infested well we don't really have any um we don't have 200 reviews carter so i'm i i think i think i'm going to be okay with that <laughs> Carter's trying to kill you. Like, you will shit out your skeleton. Like, literally shit out your skeleton. I know you're probably going to watch it out of curiosity and, like, someone's going to tease you one too many times and you're going to be like, I'm going to prove you wrong and then you're going to watch it and then I'm going to get a call from your roommate that you died of a heart attack watching... (laughs) I... (laughs) You know, okay, live stream watch. I will need people there with me to watch this that's true i will need if i will fly out to hang out with terry to watch infected with infested i will do that mostly because i want an excuse to hang out with you in person again and i will use your terror as (laughs) my motivation because i just i don't for those who don't know infested is a we've talked about it on little cuts or mary beth talked about it on little cuts out of what was it? Was it Fantastic Fest? I can't remember. Yeah, Fantastic, Fantastic Fest. Fest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Spiders in a building, horrifying. Wreck meets spiders. It's yeah, it's arachnophobia, but like ten times worse yeah. because it's not like funny yeah. at all and like not fun. Uh, yeah, but it's gonna shit. But it it's gonna it would make Terry die. Yeah, so we're gonna have him watch it when it comes out. Uh, on that note, everybody, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch anything that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for movies we should be talking about? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter slash all other social medias. On Twitter, I am at mbmcandrews. And on Instagram, I am, I am at mb.mcandrews. I don't use Blue Sky. I just, I'm giving up on that, so... <laughs> And I'm a gaily dreadful everywhere. I can't be asked. I say that now. Who know? Who the fuck knows? Whatever. And then don't forget to keep the conversation going with us on their other social media accounts for the actual podcast. We are at Scarred Podcast on Twitter and at Scarred for Life Podcast on Instagram and Blue Sky. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And like we said, if you want to help support us, our Patreon is back open, thankfully. We are back, baby. Uh, Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.